Welcome to Pushing Forward with Alicia, a podcast that gives disability a voice. Each week, we will explore topics like confidence, ambition, resilience, and finding success against all odds. We are creating a collective community that believes that all things are possible for all people. Open hearts, clear paths, let's go. Welcome back to Pushing Forward with Alicia. I'm Alicia, and we are so excited to have you back for another episode. I have a great friend and colleague spending some time with us today. His name is Brian McComick. He is the CEO and founder of Hummingbird Humanity. He is a consultant, a speaker, an author, and a facilitator with over 25 years of experience in DEI, HR, culture change management, internal communications, and employee experience. He is an openly gay man and a person with a disability who shares his life experiences in service of fostering workplaces where humans are able to thrive. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for your time today. I just read your bio and gave all your accolades, but can you give us any extra little details? Well, first of all, Alicia, thank you so, so very much for inviting me to be part of your podcast. You know, I'm a huge, huge fan of yours, and I've loved every time we've had a conversation, whether it's been in front of others, like in our virtual live audiences, or just even behind the scenes. I always feel like I learned something from you. So thank you for again for inviting me here. What I believe is that um, when I started working in corporate America, and then this is true for probably many of you out there, I, I was... Knew I knew that I was supposed to like take off my coat of emotions and sort of put my humanity to the side and go fill the the job description this box that I was put into of like this is what you do and you need to show up that way and um, the reality is we can't put our humanity to the side it, we, it comes with us wherever we go and so we um, we try to celebrate that in how we introduce ourselves at Hummingbird to acknowledge that we need to bring our humanity and acknowledge our humanity as well as sort of you know so who we are as well as what we do um, so you you've heard all the things about what 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 we what I do is I'm a really I just I think about myself as an organizational change expert and I, I um, work on organizational change through a variety of different lenses. Right now, it's really largely through inclusive workplaces where people belong, humans thrive, um, and that's you know the work I love and I'm so grateful I get to do it. It's not easy, as you well know, Alicia, but I'm I love it. Um, and of course, you know I'm gay and disabled, but you know there's so much more to me than that. I've you know I sang with the New York City Gay Men's Chorus, so I like to sing. I'm a dog dad um, to um, Bosco, who is our chief happiness officer at Hummingbird, and he was a medical research dog for seven years. So he um, is his own beautiful soul on the planet, and he helped to test medicines for humans. Um, I am really close to my family. Um, I became an I became an uncle earlier this summer, so that's really exciting. It's the first grand grandchild for my parents, um, and uh, you know I, I I like to travel, but I generally travel to either experience something with people I love or to go visit people I love. So there's a few other things a little about me. Oh, I guess I should mention I'm a military brat. So sometimes I say I'm a citizen of the world because people are like, where are you from? I'm like, that's complicated. So um, I just say, you know, I'm a citizen of the world, although I identify as a New Yorker. Oh, okay, good. If you're comfortable, are you able to share anything about what your disability might be? I think the intersections of identity is pretty important. So um... they're probably the two big ones is my mental health stuff. And um, HIV. And, you know, sometimes I, when I talk about HIV, one thing that I recognize, and so if anyone's out there listening and you're like, 
They don't know how to feel about someone who just shared the HIV positive. Surprisingly common for people to have a have a difficult reaction to that information. Um, so I understand that I have a responsibility when I choose to share that diagnosis, um, that sometimes it may inflict unintentional trauma on someone else for any number of reasons. When I found out I was positive, medication had moved to a place where I could take, at that time it was two pills once a, two pills a day. Now I take one pill once a day. The virus is not affecting me and I can't give it to anyone else. So it's a whole different ballgame today. Um, but if you're still stuck with that imagery in your head from from the 80s and early 90s, it can be really scary when you hear that um, someone's positive. So I'm okay. And certainly the medical med science has come a long way. And, um, and hopefully that's helpful information for someone out there. It is. Well, I think that's part of the work of wherever we're comfortable sharing our experiences because the path of disability, whether it's non-apparent anxiety. I mean, my disability identities are invisible and um, and you wouldn't know about them unless I choose to share them with the exception of you know, mental health is is something that you might experience of someone else going through a mental illness, an episode of mental illness. So you can see and experience that in some way, shape or form. If you're, if you're paying attention and you're close to someone, but generally it's, you know, most days I'm just fine. And um, you wouldn't know that I, that either of those um, experiences are part of my life and what you would see. Um, and this is something I'm actually, thank you for bringing this question up, Alicia, because it's also important for me to acknowledge that for, you know, those of you who are listening, unless you've seen my picture, wouldn't know. I'm also a, a white cisgender man, and I'm also six feet six inches tall. I'm heteronormative, so I fit into the typical stereotype, you know, stereotype of what masculinity looks like. So um, when I have those, that, that when you name those and I and recognize those collection of attributes that make me um, fit into the ideal of what corporate America was built for, is people who look like me and who show up like me. And so some people, like when I get on stage, sometimes uh, the first thing I'll I'll do is I'll look out in the audience and I'll be like, you're all wondering why the white guys up here on stage talking about diversity, aren't you? And, you know, I get a lot of chuckles, but I get a sea of nodding heads, like every head in the room nods. And, uh, you know, one thing I say first is uh, that we need white guys to be part of this work. So I'm one of those white guys who's part of this work because they believe it's so important for those who've been marginalized in our in our in our um, in our systems of um, uh, of the world, certainly in workplace environments. But I'm also someone who's experienced what it feels like to be othered or to be an outsider or to be different. And I don't want anyone else to feel that way. And if I can be part of the change that allows, um, as you know, you shared earlier, allows humans to thrive in the workplace, then I want to be part of that change and use the skills I have and the passion I have for this work to, to make a difference. I love both of those points that you just brought up. And I think they're very impactful to create change, not only in our society, but specifically in the workplace as well. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I, couldn't possibly agree more about the the value and importance of community and you know the 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 chorus has you know has made a huge difference in my life so i read somewhere i think it was on your website or something that your identity has given home to powerful perspectives of well-being in the workplace and so my question to you is first of all why DEI? Did that start before or after you started kind of identifying with all of your layers? And can you tell us a little bit about this powerful perspective philosophy and 
what that means. When I started doing DEI work, I would I would say that social impact work was really the external expression of DEI work, mm-hmm. um, and that's I think I I still think that's true, and I think it's also bigger than that in many ways. And um, when you when you bring in sustainability efforts and ESG efforts, but those of course can have DEI lenses. And then I you know as I continue to to sort of think this through, it's. It also includes what, what what I call human-centered leadership. So the things that we need to be embracing as leaders today to to meet the needs of the humans that work in our workplaces and um, honoring well-being. Well-being is often um, the sort of like set of activities that happens in workplaces, but doesn't really fully embrace the potential of well-being. Um, so that's what this framework's all about. There are two moments that, I, that I'll highlight before I entered workplace um, environments. So the first was you know, growing up, I was always different. I always felt like I was, um, um, I never, I always felt like I never really fit in. I felt like, um, uh, you know, I wasn't included. Part of that was because I was always awkwardly tall, um, I'm awkwardly thin, and I didn't really act like other boys, and I didn't have the same interests as other boys. And, um, you know, so all of those things. And I remember having a conversation with my parents once and, um, asking them, like, you know, am I, am I, am I painting this picture of my childhood in a way that um, is isn't honoring the reality of what it was like to grow up as a white boy in America? And they're like, no, you, that was you, and and you always wanted others to feel like they were included. So you, that was like just who you were, because you didn't like the feeling of like not being part of things. So you know, I think that's part of the foundation of who I was as a human. And I, I grew up with parents that expected my sister and I to treat everyone with respect, regardless of who they were, you know, so that, you know, that all comes together, I think for, from a foundational perspective, how do I do this work in the way that honors what I'm here to do to really change systems that allow for all humans to thrive. And, um, you know, as part of that journey, I, I, I started to, as, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, I started to look at, well, DEI um, so often is introduced to organizations in this silo or this other thing and it needs to be part of everything. What does a well-being program look like? You know, there are a variety of different lenses. So I think one of the first things I would offer if you're in the role of defining or designing a well-being program is to, is figuring out what is needed for the people in your organization. So one of our beliefs at Hummingbird is that we start with the belief that the people in your organization are unique from the people in the organization next to yours and the, and the one next to the next to your, next to theirs. Um, and so you need to understand what do the people in your organization need, what's important to them. So sometimes what well-being is um, mental health programs, um, and there's certainly lots of great offers and op- and um, uh, services you can offer there. But it's also telling the stories about mental illness and and um, and helping to elevate those conversations. And that's one example of many different disabilities. This is a perfect time to take a quick break. You are listening to Pushing Forward with Alicia, and we will be right back. We talk a lot on the show about ableism and inclusion. If you want to learn more, I invite you to listen to my TEDx talk, Disabling Ableism, the Modern Pathway to Inclusion. You can watch the whole speech on aliciaanderson.com. That's A-L-Y-C-I-A Anderson with an O.com. Click on speaking. Welcome back to Pushing Forward with Alicia. I'm Alicia, and we are so excited to have you back for another episode. I have a great friend and colleague spending some time with us today. His name is Brian McComick. He is the CEO and founder of Hummingbird Humanity. You left corporate. You started your own business. You're an entrepreneur. 
you are helping your customers, you fill in the blank. We typically work with companies and organizations that I, the way that I describe it is they're big enough to um, need strategy around their workplace culture and the elements of workplace culture, but aren't big enough that they've, they've been able to buy all of the expertise that they need to be able to do that work. And so that's typically where we lean in is we, we help um, the, that, you know, company or organization first to understand uh, where they are today. Um, And so we, we assess where, you know, we do an assessment um, and, um, and help paint that picture. And we paint the picture through, variety of different lenses. We do head and heart perspectives. So, you know, numbers and analytics and stats and things of that nature, but also quotes and and messages from your actual people, the people that work there. So we can really illuminate this very, this multifaceted complex um, uh, picture of what is your culture like today? And then have a conversation about where do you want to go? What do you want your people to feel like? And let's anchor that in the voices of your the people that work here because I can come in and say like here's what I think it should be but I don't work if I don't work there like it's not about me it's about the people the humans that are part of that organization and know what's right for that organization and that community um, and we anchor our workplace culture efforts in DEI methodologies in change management principles and um, communication mechanisms to make sure because communication is often what's forgotten in these programs. They don't work without change management. And certainly if we want to be part of the change um, that allows all humans to thrive, it has to be anchored in an understanding of systemic oppression. So we bring those um, those elements into how we um, help organizations evolve their workplace culture. You know, I think that's part of the foundation of who I was as a human. And I, I grew up with parents that expected my sister and I to treat everyone with respect, regardless of who they were, you know, so that, you know, that all comes together, I think for, from a foundational perspective. And in college, I read a book called the customer comes second by Hal Rosenbluth. And that is all about how if companies create workplaces, again, the language I use is where humans thrive, then they're going to do great work. And the great work is then going to impact the success of your company and, you know, reach your customers and clients. So that's been part of, you know, the combination of those two things, I think was always part of who I was as an HR professional. When I was at Disney, um, I worked. I, I struggled at Disney to, to what I call and have referred to as fitting in. Um, and I, I just recently heard Brene Brown, um, a clip of Brene Brown, talk about how the opposite of belonging is fitting in. Because fitting in is how are you um, making yourself fit into this other environment? And you're not your you're not your true self. You're like I'm going to put on this shirt. I'm going to put on these sunglasses. I'm going to put on these shoes. I'm going to adopt these ways of saying things or doing things because I need to fit in rather than I get to bring who I am and bring that magic to the environment. I'm um, going to pretend uh, like I don't need accessibility and it's not okay to self-identify and it's not, you know, like, and fit into the box. I think that I can relate to that too. Wow. Before I ask you the final question, did we miss anything? Because I want to make sure that we got in, squeezed all the juice that was super important to you today. I think we had a great conversation, but did we miss anything that you would like to share? Yeah. You know, there was one story I alluded to early on that I should, I should probably just share in spirit. I promised the story. And it's okay. also a, it was also a powerful moment of where my, the two disabilities that I've talked about really intersected. Um, so in, September of 2008, I was diagnosed as HIV positive, and um, I was one of those people who still had the imagery from the 80s and early 90s in my head. And so, death was what appeared on my my mind, not um, not life, and not necessarily hope. Um, and uh, that moment 
um, ignited a significant episode of depression and anxiety. And um, I worked at a, an organization at the time that um, I don't remember there being messages that you could talk about these things there. So I didn't know how to talk about my diagnosis. And I certainly didn't know how to talk about my mental health challenges at the time. And, and I'm not saying that that's anything that the company did wrong or the people I work with did wrong. Um, I, I just don't think that that was necessarily my experience. Um, and um, so I just tried to show up every day um, and do my job. So I didn't take a leave of absence, which I think in hindsight, I probably should have. Well, what that experience was for, so for, certainly for me, I was lost. Um, and I was physically at work every day. Like the, the, the physical being of Brian McCormick was in the office every day. But he wasn't really doing his job. And what that was, so that experience for my colleagues was like, well, why why does he not why doesn't he have to do his job? Like what why do I have to pick up the things that are he's not doing? Why, why is this happening? And it increased their frustration and their anger. And and you know, I and I felt some of that. And they, I'm sure they really tried not to for me to experience that. And they're I think they're great humans who would have been like if they would have known the story, they would have helped me figure that out and way through that in a very different way than what I, the way that I, the path I chose, but it was just like, it, it didn't work for any of us. So when I think about, um, you know, the conversations we have around how do we create workplaces and cultures where humans thrive? Yes. It's about someone like me who in that moment really needed to be cared for and supported, but it's also equally important for the people I worked with who were like, I don't know what's happening right now, but this doesn't doesn't feel good and um, and don't have a way to, to work through it or name it or to, to be part of the solution. And I think that was not only unfair to me, but unfair to them. And I certainly wish I could go back and rewrite that story in so many different ways. Um, but I think that's, you know, I try to, I remember that story a lot um, as I'm doing this work, because I remember like, it's not only the people that are marginalized that are impacted, it's everyone who's impacted. So how do we, how do, like, and which then honors that whole concept of environments, workplace cultures where humans thrive. So I think that's really a nice last thought there. And it it definitely shows why you're doing the work that you're doing. I think you're doing really good work there in, in creating that space. So congratulations on all of your accomplishments. How do our listeners find you? So I am certainly on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place to find me. Uh, you can search for Brian McComick, which is Brian with an I, M-C-C-O-M-A-K. It's a unique spelling. So I'll say it again, M-C-C-O-M-A-K. Um, so that's the, probably the best place to find me. And then if you want to connect with Hummingbird, visit hummingbirdhumanity.com um, and you can um, check out what we have going on there. You can join our newsletter. Um, and certainly Hummingbird is also on LinkedIn. So that's another place to follow what we're doing. We like to have a final pushing forward moment to send our audiences, our listeners off with something, a mantra, something that might inspire them in their own spaces, whether it's in the workplace or in their lives. What is one little gift that you could give away? I, I've, I think that this conversation has centered a lot around uh, my my battles with anxiety and depression. And, um, and so this is what I'll offer is this, this tool that, um, there's probably a collection of things I've learned from, from, um, professionals is the first thing I do is I just stop and, and try to quiet my mind. And I say, am I okay right now? The starting point of, am I okay right now? Then moves me to, 
what am I grateful for in my life? And what are the things that I can be grateful for today in this moment? Um, and and you know, centering in today today, and particularly in the now um, is what usually then helps me get, get to a place, get out of that, what was about to become something that could have been problematic into a space that is healthier. And then I can say, okay, I'm okay. And I have a lot to be thankful for. Life is not perfect. Life is never perfect. It's never going to be perfect. That's not the, really the goal anyway. Um, but I'm okay. And now I can tackle whatever, whatever's ahead of me. Brian, thank you so much. You're doing great work. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in again. This is Pushing Forward with Alicia. And that is how we roll on this podcast. If you're an employer who would like to learn more about disability inclusion in the workplace, lessons on ableism, and how accessibility can drive innovation in your company, please check out my micro training series at aliciaanderson.com. That's A-L-Y-C-I-A, Anderson with an O, dot com. Click on micro learning.